so much for tuning in for another edition of Let's Be Blunt with Montel, where we talk about everything, anything, cannabis, and we also address some of the social issues that are plaguing us right now, especially going into this election year. So I'll be covering lots of other topics. But at the same time, you know, every single day, I want to make sure that I can bring you some information every time we do a podcast that will help you navigate this space called cannabis a little bit better with more information. And it's a it's a space out there right now, especially for those of you that are walking into dispensaries for the first time or those of you who are, you know, seeking out, you know, some product and you don't know what you're looking for. I want to make sure we give you some extra information to help you, you know, navigate the space a little bit better and make sure you don't run into some difficulty. And today we are so fortunate to have a guest who has literally been a mover, shaker, changer in the cannabis industry for, what, the last five years. Um, You know, she spent 20 years in the entertainment business as an actress, a casting director, and a producer. Then she was a founder of Women Above Ground, a networking organization for women of color in the cannabis industry. And she's the founder of Endica, which is the National Diversity Inclusion Cannabis Alliance. She's a cannabis entrepreneur who co-founded the Glass Jar, an organic cannabis-infused Herbal Cream. She's the one and only Bonita Bo Money. Thank you so much, Bo, for being here. Absolutely. How are you, Montel? I'm doing great. I'm doing great, really. And and thanks for being a participant in Let's Be Blunt. And that's what this is really all about, having a blood conversation about the industry, where it's been, where it's going. And you're sitting on the cusp of both, where it's been and where it's going. Let's back up a little bit and give some people an introduction into Really, where you came from. So you spent 20 years in the entertainment industry. At one point Correct. in time, you were working for Dr. Dre, is Correct. right? Mm-hmm. Well, tell us a little bit about that. So I developed his first um, feature film, which was called One Time, that he co-wrote with um, Dwight Patello and also the um, – oh, God, what was his co-writer mm. um, that wrote all the songs on the Chronic album? Um, DOC. Oh, okay, got it. So that was their first film. And then I worked on their music videos as well for the Chronic Oh, wow. Yes. Wow. So, shit, I know those. <laughs> Come on with it. So, you were originally, but you're back in the OG of OGs. Absolutely. Yes. Absolutely. And then what made you transition into the cannabis space? Well, I was looking at Colorado, and I was watching the economic movement in Colorado, and I said, this is something I should look at, because, of course, you know, being an entrepreneur, I knew this was something that I, I definitely had to be And let's of. also be aware of the fact that it was if it wasn't for the Chronic album, you know, I think probably 80% <laughs> of the people in America would not have changed their minds a little bit about cannabis. Absolutely. Uh, and Dre should take some credit for that. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. I agree. Snoop, mm-hmm. Dre, all of them. Uh, Snoop, Dre, all of them. Yep, absolutely. Absolutely. So looking at that, I started networking. I started going to conferences, starting to, you know, going to meetups, um, looking at different influencers in the industry, so, you know, just to see what was going on and, and what I really wanted to do because I didn't know. I just didn't know how I wanted to enter in. But what I really noticed was that there were no people of color. Right. And that was a big issue. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm watching this industry and I'm watching, you know, now folks that have been to prison for this plant now are being basically kept out. They're pushed out, kept out, left out. Right. And that just wasn't okay. So this is why, where I started Women Above Ground. Mm-hmm. And then I had to make it broader. That's when I started Indica because what I was seeing with these social equity plans – there just wasn't, um, I would say, integrity around them. So I was watching all these predatory investors come in mm-hmm. and really try to take advantage of these social equity applicants that you know 
would have had an opportunity to be in the industry. And, that, of course, that was black and brown people. Right. And, you know, it's really interesting. Even, even today, the industry has been growing. This is a five-year burgeoning. It's longer than that. But, I mean, in the last five years, the industry has really taken off. Yet the number of black and brown people getting licenses hasn't changed. It's still less than 1% Absolutely. of the whole industry. Is that right? Absolutely. And and it's just – it really breaks my heart in the sense that, you know, I thought L.A. would be the model for social mm-hmm. equity. And, you know, I've just turned it – I've seen it turn into just a shit show, honestly. It's just – it's horrible. Right. right. You know. In what way? Go ahead, explain what, what you mean. We just went through our second phase of licensing for social equity applicants. Mm-hmm. Okay. So in the last, what, month and a half, they started issuing licensing and – it's all going to either Armenians or Russians or people other than the black and brown folks that, again, that have been targeted by the war on drugs. Right. And this is why social equity was created, the social equity plan. Right. So now we, we're watching what we thought was going to be a great opportunity for generational wealth for, our, for those communities mm-hmm. turn into just an opportunity for investors, white investors, again. Right. So Come in and buy a name. Absolutely. Absolutely. So they're using straw applicants, you know, folks that really don't care about ownership. You know, that will take $5,000 a month and then sell their license out in three years. Right. Right. Uh, What do we got to do to turn this around, Bo? Well, I think, Montel, we need your assistance. (laughs) As an influencer, (laughs) again, you're someone that can bring this to light. I don't think a lot of people even know that we have these social equity plans. Right. I mean, how many really know? You know, I've had these. I mean, I know... Snoop just spoke on it at the Revolt um, convention the mm-hmm. other day. But my thing is that, again, if you know this, then why aren't you doing something about it? Right. You know, again, it, it's one thing to say, oh, yeah, I think that, you know, minorities or people of color should have ownership. And there's, it's another thing doing something about it. Right. Standing up and being that influencer. You know, I, I fought long and hard, you know, for Absolutely. the last four I mean, you were right there with me. So I've been in this battle for 20 years. Yeah. Right. Exactly. Right. So. Right. What do we do? I mean, when, when you see corruption like this, because, again, there's no, way, there's no way that these licenses would have been issued to these folks, okay, that are these predatory investors, mm-hmm. unless they were politicians or different, you know, powers that be assisting them. Sure. Absolutely. You know, I don't want to point fingers, but we know that's true. Correct. Correct. But, I mean, how do we get, you know, and again, how do we change the sensibility of the community itself? I mean, you know, there's a lot of... African-Americans who say that they want to be in the business, but then when it comes time to get in the business, either they want somebody to give them something, which means that they're willing to sell off a little piece of themselves for someone else's application. Uh How do we get people to understand that this is a viable career path? Well, what we've done here in L.A. is a lot of us that have – diversity groups so that are founders of diversity groups. We've mm-hmm. really made our members really aware of what is really going on. That's like Indica. So yes, what you're doing right. Indica, Indica so. and then there's other groups like Latinos for Cannabis, CMA. So we've all come together so that we can basically be at those city hall meetings, be at the state capitol, because mm-hmm. we have to start showing up. We have to start speaking up. Right. And I think there's been a lack of that. You know, black and brown people don't like to go to city hall. Right. You know, but they have to. And that's where I'm going. Like, I just left Chicago, Detroit. My thing is to create awareness because this is what the cities didn't do. They didn't allow any outreach. They right. didn't have a budget for outreach, but that's what right. they say. Right. But again, so there was, no, there was no type of awareness put on the streets. So applicants that would actually qualify 
didn't even know that there was a social equity plan that existed. Right. So that's the first step is creating that awareness and education around it. Mm-hmm. Then we need to really, again, start being at those meetings, start, you know, talking to our councilmen, talk, start talking to, you know, the powers that be, our cannabis are, whoever's in, you know, who's ever in control mm-hmm. of so these our licensing and social equity. We need to start standing up and saying, listen, we demand this, not please can we have. Right. We have to start demanding this because, right. again, we deserve the right to be in the industry. Correct, especially for the dues that have been paid along the way. A lot of people don't understand is that since cannabis was made illegal, you know, back in 1937, almost 80% plus, probably 85% of those people incarcerated in this nation for marijuana violations, cannabis violations, have been people of color. Correct. And specifically black and brown, Latino, and African American. Correct. And, you know, I mean, there's some people who would say and liking it to, you know, a, a enslavement program. As you know, if you couldn't have slavery and just put people in jail, it's that's the same exactly thing. it. Modern day slavery, correct? Absolutely, because if they could jail us now, or enslave us now legally, they would. Oh, absolutely, <laughs> absolutely. So, you know, t- tell me a little bit more about Indica as an organization. When did you find it? When, did, when, was, when was it founded? Two thousand seventeen. Two thousand seventeen. Okay, mm-hmm. and now where are you at? Are you or you have chapters in different states, or one chapter and people can reach out to the organization? Well. Yeah, I, I don't like the, the chapter thing just because, mm-hmm. again, you have to like – I just don't like to have to, I would say, micromanage. Mm-hmm. Um, but, again, that's what you have to do in order to keep the integrity of your organization because I don't know what this chapter head may be doing sure. over here. So, you know – so but I do I do have, I would say, um, people that are guiding Indica in different states that – like. Illinois mm-hmm. and Michigan because it, we need that because they do have social equity programs and I want to be able to assist right. in keeping them integral. Right. Do you know which – maybe it would help right now. Do you know which states that are out there right now that have a social equity program built into their legislation? Illinois. Okay. Illinois is one. Got then it. you have Michigan. Michigan. Massachusetts. Maryland. Maryland. They added it, did they not? It started well, off that way. It wasn't. Right, because they got sued. Correct. Because not one person, one black person got a license, not Correct. a person of color. Same so. thing in Florida. Absolutely. Right. But on round two of Maryland, which was supposed to be social equity, same thing happened again. Right. So, I mean, what are, what are we really doing here? Right. And then also um, Georgia. I think Georgia's 20% of their licensing has to go to people of color. Okay. So, so people in those states need to wake up a little bit. Can they reach out to you and get information about how they can actually participate in this, you know, grain rush? Absolutely. They need to because ultimately if they don't, if they don't start participating, you know, at the city and state level, Mm -hmm. then again, they're going to miss that opportunity because I was just in Chicago and there was several like social equity meetings that were being held, but they were all being held by white groups. Right. And they were not giving the correct information. So there's a lot of misinformation being put out there as well. Because mm-hmm. they don't want, you know, black and brown folks to really understand what this really is. And they think that, again, it's an opportunity that they're going to have to beg for or they're going to have to cooperate with these folks, you know, sure. these investors in order to get that opportunity. And they don't because they have to understand that they control that license. Stay with us. We'll be right back. 
Do you want to know how to become a social media influencer, how to grow an online business, how to make money from your laptop and build a profitable online company? Well, I'm going to show you how in my podcast, Living the Red Life. I built a million dollar company at the age of 25, a $10 million company at the age of 30, and now I'm the A-list celebrity marketer that speaks around the world on how to transform businesses and make them profitable using Facebook ads, marketing, social media. My name is Rudy Moore, and I'm super pumped to bring you my podcast, Living the red life i know this is going to become your new favorite podcast and i'm going to show you how to grow a profitable online company step by step every single week right and each states and I, i would i would venture to say that anybody tuning in right now listening and if you're interested at all in getting into this candidate space no matter who you are but especially if you are person of color and you're interested in, all you really have to do is download your state's legislation. Start there. Just start by downloading the bill or whatever it was that passed that allowed for legal cannabis in your state. When you look at that, the bill is going to include whether or not it has a social equity plan. Absolutely. Google and start researching and they need to start reading. And that's what, you know, I'm finding that black folks aren't doing. They're not reading. And it's Mm -hmm. like, you know, they need to. They need to stay aware of what's going on in their right. state and in their cities. Right. So, like Detroit. And then, like Detroit, what's happening in Detroit right now? Well, Michigan has a horrible social equity bill. Right. The only thing they're doing for folks that would actually qualify is giving them a 50% discount for application fees. But there's no, no preference allowed. No priority. Because, like, in L.A., we were supposed to have priority. So, again, we had... A two-to-one ratio. So for mm-hmm. every one general license that was issued years ago, there has to be two now issued to social equity applicants. Okay. okay. They don't really have that in Michigan, so there's no priority in any kind of way. So really, it doesn't matter. If you're a social equity applicant and then you get 50% off the application fee, which is, what, 8000 so you have to pay 4000 okay. First of all, most social equity applicants that would qualify have to be low income, have to come from a, I would say, marginalized community. Right. And have a cannabis conviction with those type of requirements. Who has four thousand dollars right, to put down non-refundable right. to go on application? Right. No. So they end up selling off their portion to get the four thousand dollars for the application. Correct. So right. now they become a front, a black face to an, a, a license right. or an application. Right. With no back end. Absolutely. Right. So these are the problems. So now I'm working with some representatives out of Michigan to put a new bill in so you know to basically author a new bill that we can introduce that would create a real social equity plan with mm-hmm. some you know safeguards there absolutely tell me a little bit about you know you uh, founded a product or called the glass jar is that a company or a product tell me about that it. was the product I that think you product. had some I gave you some yes, a couple years a couple ago years ago <laughs> yes absolutely so yes it's a topical cream mm-hmm. um, and it really isn't, you know, and I, I tell people this because a lot of people think it's the THC or, or CBD mm-hmm. that is the effective ingre- ingredient. And it's really not. It's the terpenes right. that really are effective. In that, yes, absolutely, terpene. Well, you know, we've, we've been on this, this CBD kick in America now for, what, five years. And as if that's the only component of this plant that's of any value. And finally, science is starting to 
be read, science that was already there, mm -hmm. science that was already available when people got the misunderstanding that the only thing valuable to the plant was CBD, but you know all the other cannabinoids, the terpenes, the fats, the, the, the lipids, all of those play in together with the effect that you get from this plant. Absolutely. And a lot full of people, spectrum. Full spectrum. A lot of people don't know. But you know, I think as we move forward and as science is catching up, you know, this most recent Sanjay Gupta special, I don't know, a lot of people saw that, didn't wait till the last five minutes of that last special, is number five, where he literally backtracked and said, I didn't mean to give the impression that CBD was the only thing that worked. As a matter of fact, THC works. So we know that. And this isn't something that, that he needed to even report. We've known that for 30 years. Right. Mm -hmm. Right? The science is there. And again, that's where... You know, part of the whole educational process is what we've been trying to do here with Let's Be Blunt is to make sure people understand that, you know, you said it earlier, Google, well, don't just Google the legislation in your state, Google cannabis. That's right. Absolutely. You know, it behooves you to educate yourself about the plant and educate yourself about the entire history of the plant. And then you would understand why we are sitting in the situation we are right now. That's right. Absolutely. Yeah. And that's so key because... I see a whole demographics out there that, that don't understand what cannabis really is. Right. You know, they're still resisting it. They're still resisting legalization. You know, and it's just, and it's crazy to me because, again, economically, a lot of these cities, like like in Baltimore, I did a radio show there, and they just called, it was Rick and I that did the show, and they were saying we were legal drug dealers, we're ruining their communities. Um, just, you know, they just didn't get it. And, right. and, and they could really use the economic part of what's going on with cannabis in their city because, again, they're, they, they're an oppressed city. Well, you know what I mean? When you're talking about Baltimore, that's, that's my hometown, but you're also talking about Maryland. Maryland has, you know, green pastures. Maryland is a place that, you know, down along the eastern shore and other places where hemp could grow in the 1,000-acre right. areas. And in using hemp, we don't even understand – we're barely scratching the surface of what the hemp fiber and hemp can do. And you look at a city like Baltimore that's, that's trying to regentrify some of the areas that have been just so devastated by blight, where, you know, I mean, there's a you know, Park Heights area and some other areas where the buildings are falling apart. You know, hemp fiber can be used for bricks, folks. You know what I mean? So there's, 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 not, there's not just one use for the cannabis plant. This thing can be used and has multiple vertical opportunities for business. That's right. That's right. Absolutely. Even if you didn't want to be in the business of, of selling medicinal or recreational cannabis, you could be in the business of selling the hemp fiber for a myriad of things. That's right. Absolutely. I mean, and the, just the ancillary parts of cannabis is so lucrative. I mean, if you look at, I, I think one of the, the most lucrative sectors right now is the tech, cannabis right. tech companies. Right. You know, um, and it, I, this is what I always tell people. Anything that is needed in mainstream is needed in the cannabis industry now. Correct. So whether it's HR, whether it's PR, whether it's marketing, okay. whether it's, you know, anything. I mean, it's, you know, they can just transfer their skills. Right. Well, I think one of the biggest issues that's going, that's really facing this industry right now is the fact that, you know, everybody jumped in and tried their best to, you know, stake out their little fiefdom for their own independent economic growth. They forgot to educate the masses along the way. So education is, I think, the biggest, biggest downfall to cannabis. There are people out there who still don't even understand why cannabis. <laughs> exactly. Why would I choose, you know, cannabis over a Vicodin? Why would I choose cannabis mm -hmm. over a beer? Exactly. 
Absolutely. And it behooves this industry to be the educator, not That's right. to shirk our responsibility and not try to. I mean, you think you know, we're missing out on, you know, I, I I've read some data recently that blew my mind that, you know, now that things are starting to settle out, when you start taking a hard look at the demographic that's doing the most buying in this country, it's not who people think, even in recreational markets where you think it's the teenage stoner that's running out and buying, you know, something. It's <laughs> not. It's the baby booming senior citizen right. who's buying the most cannabis because they that's now right. recognize the value of cannabis in their life. And so why we aren't attempting to educate that demographic, it just blows my mind. Exactly. And you know what? You're so right because – I was just having this conversation with Dr. Uma earlier, and with the senior market, it's once they try a product and it works, they're your most loyal customer. How about they have the most disposable income of anybody in America today? Exactly. You know, and it's really been funny, the fact that, you know, it it used to be, what, 10 years ago, 10, 20 years ago, most people were living to see what they could leave to their children. Now, most people living are spending it on themselves and telling their children, get a grip. You know what I mean? <laughs> right. you, know, you know, where the day, the day of the inheritance is kind of going by the wayside. That's right. Because now we're recognizing that, you know, it costs a little bit more to live out the length of our lives right now. People are living longer, too. Correct. People are living longer. And, you know, that adult who worked their tail off to earn that retirement is, you know, not being selfish, but being responsible to themselves. And they should. They Correct. Sh- they should enjoy their money. Correct. I've always told my mother that. Don't wait. We're not waiting for you to die Correct. to get your money. Go enjoy your money. Right. Use it on you, man. You want to earn it. You know what I mean? That's right. And so now they've got baby boomers and older who are going, hmm, you know, I've been, I, I got kidney problems. I got liver problems. Do I really need to hit that two glasses of wine when I come home? Maybe I could try this stuff that these guys have been talking about to get the same feeling of relaxation, mm-hmm. to get the same ease and joint pain. That's right. To get the same, you know, everybody as we age are dealing with difficulties of aging. And, you know, some of that is just uncomfortableness. That's right. And, you know, whether we call uncomfortableness a med- medical issue or not depends on how uncomfortable you are. And, you know, I, I think if there's something that can ease that uncomfortableness for senior citizens that doesn't require something that's going to cause some latent, you know, uh, addiction. Or side effect. Or side effect. Right. Why not? Or death. Correct. that's why what's not? happening with the, you know, with the meds. So. That's right. That's right. And, you know, you look at countries like Israel that, that made, you know, cannabis a geriatric drug almost 15 years ago. You know, at age 70, you can walk into several hospitals down there in Israel and get your prescription filled just with your ID card, and your malady is 70. Mm-hmm. I turn 70. So go in, and they will fill a prescription for you with cannabis. Right, as they should. As they should. I mean, I don't, you know, this is why I just, America just drives me crazy. I don't know. What do we got to <laughs> do, though, Bo? I mean, you know, again, I, I am, 
you know, a, the biggest proponent of, of education, education, education. I think that's exactly. as, as important as location, location, location is to real estate. <laughs> right. Education, education, education right. is as important when it comes to cannabis. Absolutely. But, you know, how do we how do we crack this nut? Well, that, that I mean, this is what Indica's focused on, mm-hmm. you know, now is just educating because this is, again, the biggest problem that we've seen the last couple of years mm-hmm. with our social equity programs, mm-hmm. again, is... The fact that there's no outreach, there's no education. And again, in L.A., that was written into our ordinances. Cause, so actually, that's law. So yeah. our city's breaking the law by not providing the outreach, the education, the technical assistance, things that, that were promised for social equity applicants before they even rolled out the application mm-hmm. process. Okay, so this, this is the thing we're fighting right now. That's why there's been a lot of media around it the last week because we've been really pushing back on what the city's trying to do. All right. And so, again— and you said ed- to make sure, make sure you know, tell people what the city just did. You said that, that uh, when they, they were issuing a new set of licenses, they didn't issue them in, in compliance with the social equity part. Absolutely. So they're going to, you know, other ethnic groups, specifically mm-hmm. Armenians and Russians and, you know, other folks that— I don't know how they were qualified as social equity applicants because, first of all, the war on drugs. They was never were, fought against them. They, their, their committees were never targeted. Correct. Tell me when they were targeted because I don't even remember Armenians being in our city in the right, 80s. Right. You know what I mean? So these are these are the issues that I'm having that the city seems to want to, you know, basically turn a blind eye to. And that's not OK. So we're, you know, we're in City Hall every week, you know, and we're making our folks speak up. We're bringing two, three hundred you know, black and brown folks Mm -hmm. so that the city understands that we're aware and we're paying attention. And this is not some anti-Armenian or anti-Russian campaign. This is just a campaign to support the legislation that's already in place. Correct. The the social equity plan is not even about race. It's not about color. It's not about ethnicity. It was never built on that. Again, it was built on a study that looked at the arrest rates. Right. And that's all it was built on. So if we look at that, it was all black and brown folks that were arrested and that right. were targeted. So based on that, again, it's not about being racist or anything like that. You know, it's not that I dislike Armenians. No, it's just the fact that they bought their way in. And I'm just keeping it very real, mm-hmm. period. Mm-hmm. And it's not okay because whoever is working with them, mm-hmm. okay, and the feds are in our city. Right. And they've been in our city investigating right. all this for the last seven months. And I'm with that because whoever is playing this game with right. them needs to all be, they all need to be indicted as far as I'm concerned. Right, right, right. This is not okay to sell our people out. Right. And I know black folks that are selling black folks. Correct. You know, so all this needs to stop. And again, but it's not unless, again, we educate and we expose all this. Right. You know, and this is why, you know, we work so hard to do this. And Indica became the first cannabis organization that was funded by the governor of the state of California. Oh, wow. That's great. Which was a big deal because there's never been a government entity that's funded any type of cannabis organization. Right. And do they still fund now? Are you still on the funding list from the state now? Mm-hmm. That's incredible. That mm-hmm. really is. And it's, it's based really, on our Prop 64 bill. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So it's a part of the tax money that's allocated to groups that are doing work for basically those folks that were affected by the war on drugs. Wow. And so right now, if somebody wanted to reach out to get information from me, where did they go? They would go to the, well, let me spell it, T-H-E-N-D-I-C-A dot org. So okay. the Indica, because people like to put I mm-hmm. in front of Indica, but it's right. no, no I. So it's Just an N. T-H-E-N-D-I-C-A dot org. Yes. Okay. And reach out to us because, again, our services are free. 
-hmm. So we're not charging, you know, what, let me tell you what we do because this is great. It, we, instead of an incubator, I like to call it an eco-bator mm -hmm. because it's basically a whole ecosystem. And so we have vocational training. We have um, internships, mentorship, uh, cannabis training, business education, um, cannabis education. We also have job placement. Mm -hmm. um, we do uh, three expungement clinics a month. Wow. So we're helping, and those are people all free. People expunge the records. And that, mm -hmm. this is something that's really important. Again, when you say read, educate, people need to understand that there's an organization out here that will help you expunge your record. For free. For free. <laughs> Do we say for free? For free. For free. Holy moly. Go ahead. Yeah. For free. Because, again, there's 4,800 barriers mm -hmm. to a conviction, mm -hmm. you know, from housing to education to employment to even a, a vocational license. Mm -hmm. You know, you can't even get a barber's license with the felony. That's insane. And a felony that is based on something as ridiculous as cannabis. Exactly. And well, we still got folks sitting in prison. I mean, you know, this is something you and I have been talking about for years. Right. It's like, why are people still sitting in prison when you got guys like John Boehner that are sitting on the board of the, you know, one of the largest cannabis companies right. that voted against decriminalization? Correct. Yes. So, how is all that working? You know, this is just. Driving me again crazy. It's it is insane, and especially you know a lot of people don't even understand John Boehner is actually now just like you know when you look back at Henry An or Harry Anslinger. Anslinger, you know, was the driving force to ensure for the criminalization of cannabis and hemp worldwide. Mm -hmm. But ten years before that, he was a major proponent of cannabis use. A lot of people don't know that. That's Anslinger literally was one of the biggest prohibitionists that there was and honestly lost his mind when prohibition was lifted. He had to have something. Mm -hmm. And so he then turned on the product that he had been talking about for five or six years about the fact that marijuana being eaten. Some of his speeches were literally recommending that those people could get off of alcohol by using marijuana. Right. And cannabis back then, he was, you know, that tacit kind of a, a, you know, proponent for cannabis. It wasn't until prohibition was lifted that he then said, something's got to be illegal. So, <laughs> right. you know, we got to figure out some way to put them darkies in jail. <laughs> right. <laughs> this, this way, remember, he's the guy who made the statement of, you know, cannabis makes a, you know, a black man want to step on a white man's shadow. Right. Yeah. Are Mexicans rape women? And men and, and white women want to have sex with Mexicans and... <laughs> But he, he, but he didn't use those terms. He, was, right, right. he used the other words, but yeah, right. you know, we don't have to go there. But right. so people, people need to understand that, you know, the history, and that's where we go back again to educating yourself. Correct. You know, from the beginning, it's not like I want to jump into the green rush. If you want to get into the cannabis space as a possible career path, why not learn everything you need to know? Correct. And even if it's not the career path, right. it's just, again, you know, when we talk about social equity, it's not just around cannabis. It's around any industry, right. period. Right. And so people just need to understand, like, you know, I talk to a lot of uh, reverends about this because they're like, well, we can't endorse cannabis. So I'm not asking you to endorse cannabis. And I'm the, asking you to stand up for social equity. And, you know, I, I really honestly don't – you got to understand, I think, where the entire religious movement in the black community comes from when it comes to cannabis. I don't believe that it came from the idea of an illicit drug. It came from the fact that the clergy saw young black men being targeted and tried their best to do the same thing, vilify what they thought was the 
target of the targeting. You're absolutely but they missed it. right. With, with, but they missed it. It wasn't the cannabis. It was the color of the skin. That was the target. It, it could have been, you know, drinking water. That's right. Bob Black. I mean, you take a look at it right now, you know, just being in your home, living in your own home, Bob Black can get you killed. Absolutely. And and what you just said is it, it, it hits home because I have these conversations with community leaders, you know, not just reverends, but just right. people in the community that are so afraid. It's like having PTSD because of their communities, because because their communities were so hard hit and targeted by the war on drugs. Right. They are afraid of that. They're afraid to see their sons and their husbands and their brothers go to prison again. Right. You know, and so you're absolutely right. So this is again, you know, how do you and again, how do we really deal with that oh, education? OK, we say education, education. I get that. But even to get them to come, you know, to a meetup is difficult. You know, I guess it, it, it go back 20 years and, you know, most of the meetups took place from the pulpit. So, you know, if we end up having to go to the churches themselves and, you know, I can remember a day back when I was speaking around the country, this was like, you know, 20 years ago, you know, 88, 89, I probably spoke in about 10 you know, historically black churches from the pulpit on Sunday morning. Got an opportunity for the, the minister to step aside and instead of doing his sermon, introduce the speaker. And, you know, mm. whether or not maybe it was more respected because the reverence of the environment made people bigger listeners. But I was speaking across the country back then about things like back then I was speaking about staying away from drugs, staying in school. Staying away from premarital sex and dropping out and drugging out and sexing out. You know what I mean? <laughs> right, right. That's what I was talking about. And they let me speak in those churches in front of the congregation. Well, that's probably the only time that that congregation would get together for any social issue. Yeah. And so it's maybe time again for yeah. a couple of these reverends to reach out and get a little education. Absolutely. And once they get a little education, start thinking about bringing in organizations like yours into the church and put them in the pulpit. And I think we'll change the attitude, you know, because again, I find it just it just it, it ridiculously impossible. The number of conversations I've had with, you know, a couple of African American reverends who won't believe the science, right, and can't believe the science because they've been told and it's been vilified so much, and used as an excuse for the rest of their congregants that they just don't want to accept the new truth. Yeah, and they're afraid. I mean, I, a lot of them will t pull me to the side and say, well, Bo, I want to get in. But I, I can never let my congregation know mm -hmm. that I'm pro-cannabis. I'm like, really? Why? <laughs> yeah, I'm like, really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, but again, I think that's a great idea. You know, if we can get in those churches and really um, just speak to those, you know, those folks and let them understand that this is an opportunity for them to change their communities. This is a huge opportunity. But also talk about the fact that this is something that was systematically done and represented this way to send fear through a community the same way as burning crosses do. Absolutely. This was, this was systematically planned out. To make sure that, you know, reverends would make the statement to their congregants, you can't do this, you can't touch this, you can't be a part of this. I think, again, you know, enslavement happens in many ways. You can get chains or you can also be enslaved in the brain. And, you know, and, That's right. and when you have community leaders 
unknowingly participating in false information. And even when the truth comes out, not be willing to accept the truth. Right. There's a certain level of enslavement in that. Absolutely. But, you know, again, they won't even they won't even do the research. Right. You know, I had an argument with my uncle about this like for hours because he did not want to even do the research. Right. And accept not an alternative truth, but the truth. The truth. Correct. Exactly. Yeah. Absolutely. What's next for Bo Money? Come on now. What's next? Um, well, a lot of things. Um, mm-hmm. We're building out our incubator um, mm-hmm. in South L.A. And so that folks will be able to come and be able to learn cultivation, manufacturing. Um, they'll be able to get that education that they mm-hmm. need and mm-hmm. kind of use it as a hub to um, basically understand what it is to be in the cannabis industry and how to get in, even if they don't want to be owners, you know, just even work, you know, Mm -hmm. in the industry Mm -hmm. and just to educate themselves. And then I'm also putting incubators across the nation. So Chicago is going to be next. And then also we are launching a brand called Pro Adventures. And that's a celebrity um, branding and marketing company for celebrity brands. Okay. Got it. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. Excellent. You have a distribution arm too with that? Yes, we do. Oh, there you go. Absolutely. Yeah, we have distribution. You know, and hopefully in the next, you know, two to four years, I think, you know, we'll know in two years, but I think there's going to be some a major change in legislation. Um, you can't have 34 states in the District of Columbia with cannabis laws and not do something major. The cat's out the bag. You're not putting it back in. Right. So you, so, you think federally? I think federally it? there's going to be something that's going to come down the pike that might be you know, revolutionary for the entire industry. Well, they're still going to, but, but because of Anslinger, they're going to have to undo that oh, the international packs that they have that made well, it, it so was that a, would have to be done first, right? A 1963 treaty signed by almost every nation, literally banned hemp worldwide. But in the last, oh, I think last 10 years, there's been close to 20 countries who have pulled out of that treaty. And that's going to continue to happen. So, and the only reason why the treaty exists is because of us, the United States. So the second the United States gets to a national, you know, consistent law, which I think, you know, what may end up happening is instead of a federal legalization, it may be a federal kick down to the states and then leaving it up for the states to determine. And then we'll probably for the next 10 years be riding around in an area where 48 states have a cannabis laws and two don't. And then in about 10 years, I think it, it, someone's going to say, this is about as ignorant as it gets. Same reason why, you know, we didn't have same-sex marriage across the country or the same reason why, you know, we have some of the laws that we have, well, now we finally do have, again, a national speed limit law, right? I mean, there was a while where we, we every state had independent right to set the speed limit. Now we finally come back and recognize, you know what, do you have to drive more than 55? Come on, man. <laughs> you know, so when 48 states say do, it's it's okay to have <laughs> cannabis, the other two will probably end up being just grandfathered in under a national law. So Correct. I think, yeah. So I think we're, we're going to see something where it may become a state's rights law change first. And then from that, I think we move forward. Right. And then with that, we have to ensure, again, that there's something across the board Correct. for social equity. Correct. You know, again, we we have to allow our people to get involved. Right. They have, you know, we got to take down the barriers. Because, you know, a big barrier was always financial. Right. 
you know, so the minute they tried to take that down, then they created other barriers, you know, to entry. Yes. So, again, that's why I think across the board, like these regulations and these bills should be pretty uniform. Right. That's going to be the biggest trouble right now because you've got every single state has a different law and every yes. municipality within the state has a different law. Right. So by the time, you know, you, you, you try to package a product, you know, in some states like California, you've got 20 packages for the exact same product. Exactly. With different, you know, writing on the outside of the package. And you have to meet that requirement. You can't sell in that particular municipality. Exactly. And then, you know, you go from one state to the next state, and now it's a whole different set of laws. Right. Even so, distribution. Yes. You know, Washington, you can bring the cannabis, well, the cultivator can bring the cannabis right to the dispensary. Right. Where here, it, you know, no way. It has to go to the distributor. Distributor. You have to do testing, and then the testing, you know, then right. they have to decide, okay, throw away the product, no, yes. Right, right. And it's, then that has to go, that how it goes to retail. But It's insane. So, again, we need those those type of regulations to be a little bit more uniform. But what I'm doing is I'm working with different the different uh, lawmakers mm-hmm. to adopt what I would a say. standardized right. legislation. Yeah, so so even though their their bill may not be up to par, mm-hmm. we can take it there, you know, right. by reintroducing the right bill. Right. So Illinois right, right now has probably the best social equity bill that I've ever seen. Mm-hmm. So I would say adopt that and then take it across, you know, to each, each uh, state. Country. Sure, mm-hmm. sure, sure. Well, I wish you luck, Bo, and I'm telling you, anything we can do to help you out here, and if you want to come back talking about a specific area of the country, we can sit down and talk about that to make sure that we wake some people up in you know, their living rooms and to make them understand that there's an opportunity there for them also. So anything, anytime you want to do that, let me know. Of course. And you've got to know that you can tune in and catch us in the next episode of Live, Let's Be Blunt with Montel, and I can't thank you enough for tuning in today. Tune in again. with best life burnout, constantly striving for more, and quite frankly, over it? Maybe you just want more joy, peace, and laughter in your life now. Well, then let's go. Welcome to your new favorite podcast, Hot Happy Mess, hosted by me, your girl, Zuri Hall. We are celebrating our magic in the middle of life's messes. Don't miss new episodes every Wednesday. Listen to the Hot Happy Mess podcast on the iHeartRadio app, on Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for listening to today's show. To check out more great cannabis podcasts, go to podconnects.com. Here's a preview of one of our other shows. I'm Larry Mishkin, and I'd like to invite you to join Rob Hunt and me on our weekly podcast, The Deadhead Cannabis Show. Each week, we explore the latest cannabis and jam band news and reminisce with other deadheads and jam band lovers about the great musical acts that we've seen and heard. Check out a new episode every Monday.